This is Stephen Adams. And this is Kevin Durant. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Kevin Durant. <laughs> you Kevin Durant, mate. <laughs> Good to see you, mate. Different complexion. Okay, let's go to you. So, this is Stephen Adams. And this is Anis Cantor. You're listening to the Down to Earth. Down to Dunk podcast. What? Down to, down to Dunk. Down to Dunk. I'll down say that. Dunk. Introduce yourself, mate. Here's Stephen Adams, and I'm Anis Cantor, and you're listening to Down to Dunk podcast. Stay tuned. This is your host, Andrew Schlecht. We are part of Almighty Baller Radio, as well as DailyThunder.com. You can listen to us on Dash Radio on Saturday afternoons. I have Sam Vecini on from the Sporting News to talk about the NBA draft. Who could the Thunder take at 21? Who could they trade up for? Why do I love the second round so much? A lot of really great stuff. But before we get started, I want to tell you about Chicken Express. New month, new special. The special this month. 16 dark meat, six biscuits or rolls for 20 bucks. This dark meat is ridiculous. A lot of people prefer the white meat, but the dark meat, it's juicier. It's it's better tasting to me. Uh, so you need to go check it out. It's a great special, a ton of food for $20. You can feed a lot of people with it. Uh, so go check that out today. And make sure that you also check out the sides that they have at Chicken Express. You can get French fries, fried okra, mashed potatoes, coleslaw, mac and cheese. They had these mini poppers that I got the other day. They're fried. They have uh, cheese and jalapenos in them. They're just ridiculous. They're just so delicious. So go check out Chicken Express for lunch or for dinner sometime this week. Pick up that special and make sure that you get some sides and then wash it down with a sweet tea. You can go to locations in Edmond. There's one in Yukon, South OKC, and more. They're all over Dallas. Go check out Chicken Express today. And on to the interview with Sam Vicini. Hey, Sam, thanks for coming on the show today. How are we going, Andrew? Very, very good. I love the drafts. And I love the draft right now mostly because it helps me to pretend the finals don't exist. So um, <laughs> so the first, Sam Presti likes to promise players. He's promised several players in the past. And we know that Frank Jackson has a promise. And I wonder if Sam Presti has promised him. First of all, there are a lot of Franks in this draft in general. There's one Frank in the NBA, and I think that we're about to add three more. Um which is kind of weird. There's just not a lot of NBA players with the name Frank, but now there are. Um, Frank Jackson is one of them. Tell me about Frank Jackson, and do you, and do you think that he fits with the Thunder? Let me just first off say we're getting into the weeds early on on this podcast. We're starting with Frank Jackson. I can't remember the last NBA draft podcast where I started with anyone but like Markel Fultz or Lonzo Ball or something like that. I love this. This is my favorite thing that we that I have done on a podcast or guested on a podcast. All right, Frank Jackson. I'm less sold on Frank Jackson than I think a lot of people are. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, six foot three athlete. You know. Kind of doesn't utilize his athleticism on the basketball floor. Though. He had that, you know, 40 plus inch vertical leap at the combine. I think he was second behind Hamadou Diallo. Uh, and Diallo has since pulled out of the NBA draft. So, you know, theoretically, Frank Jackson is, you know, considered maybe the best athlete in this NBA draft. But the problem is he's a power athlete who jumps off of two feet, uh, you know, and doesn't necessarily utilize that athleticism as well as what you would hope for in 
the NBA or in basketball settings in general, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, his first step is good, not great. Uh, You know, again, like a power athlete, a strong, you know, 200 pound, physically built 18, 19 year old now, uh, you know, Whenever he's going up toward the rim, if you give him space, he can really explode toward the rim. But without that space and in like the condensed kind of offensive zone of the half court, he struggles to jump off of one foot. Mm-hmm. And when you struggle to jump off of one foot and you have to jump off of two feet regularly, it gives the defense an extra split second to recover uh, and kind of rotate over to you, or you're just not going to be as explosive jumping off of one foot. And it makes you a little bit less valuable anyway, in terms of finishing around the rim. So Jackson, what I see is, is I see a six foot three scoring guard. Cause I don't think he's a point guard mm-hmm. that isn't as athletic as what you would hope. Who's, Overall skill set in terms of scoring the basketball is still rudimentary. He can shoot, to be sure, uh, from deep, but still more of a straight line driver, still, you know, kind of trying to develop the craft in his game, still trying to develop the polish in his game. And again, he's 19 years old. I think that there's still certainly some time. If you made me guess, he's probably going to be an NBA player down the road. But whatever I'm talking about, these guys that could be selected 20 through 50 or something like that in this draft. I tend to like the guys that are more ready. I think that we've seen with the thunder, you know, with guys like you know Josh Eustace or Andre Robertson, they've kind of defaulted that way as well in terms of late round selections too. Um, I just like the idea of getting a lot of value off of a rookie contract. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, the Thunder certainly have done that with Robertson. Uh, They've shown how valuable that can be. Uh, You know, they've gotten a starting level player at number 20. What was he? He was 26 Mm -hmm. overall. Is that right? Yeah, 26. Um, So, yeah, with Jackson, I'm not quite as high on utilizing a first round pick on him. I think if you use, you know, maybe. 40 on him. You'll probably come away relatively happy, maybe down the road, but right now I don't really see an NBA player there yet. And it's going to take some development in the thunder. Obviously have one of the best V league programs uh, in the entire NBA, but I'm not quite as high on him as I think some people are where I see him, uh, you know, in mock drafts and everything like that, where, you know, some people have him like early twenties or, you know, mid twenties. And I just can't get there with him. Yeah, I'm I'm not a fan. I've told people that if that's Sam Presti's promise, I'm not very happy about that. Um, is that rumored that it is? It's the rumor is that he has a promise, and so we, yeah, us, I, I tend not to buy into that stuff. To be honest, okay. you know, I've you know I've dealt with NBA executives, you know, pretty substantially over the course of the last what I guess five four years really. Mm-hmm. Um, Promises, I think, often get overstated. Sometimes they end up coming to fruition. I think that Jarrell Martin is a good example of that. I think he went number 25 to Memphis. Um, I'm trying to think. Reggie Jackson was promised from the Thunder. Yeah, it was Cameron Payne as well. Cam Payne was. that, Mm -hmm. That was a situation too. But what you see with promises is typically you see them as Okay, if you get to this point, 
we promise that you will not get past this point. It tends to happen with guys who are a little bit higher up draft boards Mm -hmm. in terms of whether or not they come to fruition or not. So Cameron Payne was a guy that some people thought, you know, could go nine, 10, 11, even though I had him at like, I don't know, like 25 on my board. I was not a big campaign guy. Sounds about Um, right. (laughs) 25 sounds about right now. Yeah. I mean, he, again, like six foot one scoring guard, that wasn't like a hyper athlete. I don't really know what to do with that guy, I guess. Um, but anyway, so Cameron, uh, you know, Cameron Payne was considered nine, 10, 11, somewhere in that range. The Thunder said, okay, if you get to 14, we'll take you. Mm-hmm. Uh, Reggie Jackson, if I remember correctly, was considered like a potential teen teens pick. Uh, and, you know, ended up falling to what, what was he? 21, 23, something like that. Yeah, I think he, I'm trying to, I don't remember exactly 20 in the early twenties. Yeah. Right. Um, so sometimes NBA teams will say, uh, we'll end up saying, Hey, if you stay in the draft, we'll take you, but not all of those come to fruition. Sometimes, you know, NBA teams who are, you know, looking out for their best interests, especially in terms of having options in later portions of the draft, uh, we'll tell multiple players, Hey, uh, you know, we'll take you if you stay in the draft and they end up not taking them. Obviously that hurts your relationship with agents down the road. Uh, it's certainly a calculated gamble that you have to take, but it's something that happens. Uh, you know, it, it sucks for the players. It's often very difficult to get a great read on it. Jackson is an interesting guy because he's also a really hard worker, really emotionally intelligent kid. Uh, I can see a circumstance where he ends up being highly successful in the NBA, or at least, you know, moderately successful in the way that Monte Ellis has been moderately successful in the NBA. Mm -hmm. But I'm not necessarily sold that someone has told him, Hey, we're going to take you in the first round. Yeah. And he doesn't feel like a guy that Thunder should reach for. Uh, the guy that I've honed in on, who's depending on what mock you're looking at, he's a late first round or early second round pick is Derek White. Uh, I'm a really big fan yeah. of him. I love his size. I love I love his experience and that the Thunder need a guy that can play right now. And you kind of mentioned this earlier that you like guys that where you can get value out of the rookie deals. And I feel like Derek White's one of those guys. I feel like he could play backup point in a pinch, but probably he's not like a full-time backup, but I think he could play next to Russ. Uh, What are your thoughts on Derek White? Well, you know how everyone's kind of out there looking for the next Malcolm Brogdon, Mm -hmm. right? And then there was kind of a backlash to the fact that there's no Malcolm Brogdon in this draft. Uh, You know, I actually think that there are some similarities with Mm -hmm. White to Malcolm Brogdon. A little bit older, 23 years old, obviously. Uh, Late bloomer. He was six foot one entering college, has since, you know, jumped up to around six foot five, six foot six. Uh, It was really developed his skill set, was Division II player who transferred up to Colorado for one year and was one of the best players in the entire Pac-12. You know, he's a really, really good shooter, good athlete, very polished in terms of his handle, can really pass the basketball. Like you said, would work really, really well, I think, next to a Russell Westbrook. You could see him occasionally taking over the backup point guard spot, which I think is obviously a major need for the Oklahoma uh, City Thunder right now, given that Samaje Kristen is maybe the worst backup point guard in the NBA this year. Obviously. (laughs) 
they tried to they tried the Norse coal experiment late in the year, and that necessarily didn't work. I think that that kind of says all you need to know about the Samaje Kristen experience, though, right? That they'd go outside Norris coal and you know see if they could make that work. Um, so yeah, Derek White, I think, would be a really really good fit for them. You know. Do I think they should take, you know, if they think that he is a worthwhile player, it would be a little bit of a, of a reach for me. If they took him at what, what do they have? They have number 20, uh, 21 was it 21. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So 21, I think that's probably a little bit of a reach. I have him at like 26 or 27 on my board, but you know, again, it's a good fit. Uh, you know, he was all pac 12 defense this year. I'm not necessarily as high on that translating immediately. Uh, I think that he's going to have a bit of an adjustment going from D2 to D1 to, uh, you know, the NBA in basically a three to four year span. But, you know, you could say that about everyone. Uh, you know, very few rookies come in and make an impact defensively. Well, I guess would have a poten- have the potential to at some point, just given the fact that he has pretty good anticipation, really good awareness. Uh, it is a solid athlete. You would hope that, you know, maybe he can add a little bit of quickness at some point, but solid athlete who can definitely have some vertical explosiveness. Um, overall, I'm pretty high on Derek white. I like him. I like the fit in Oklahoma city. I think it would be a really interesting pick. So tell me this. So if you had these four guys available at 21, and I just I don't think the Thunder need to take a big, and I'm not especially in love with any of the bigs that'll be available um, at. 21. I don't know why the Thunder would take a big. They shouldn't. Um, but there, there's just there's just a lot of bigs like in the, in most mock drafts from like right. 17 through 24, 25. It's just like all bigs basically. And so, right. The secret of this draft is that I think a lot of these bigs are going to fall because if yeah. you look at the teams that are between 21 and 30, right? So Oklahoma city does not need a big mm-hmm. Brooklyn could probably use a big Toronto definitely does not need a true no. big given the fact that they have, you know, Jakob Pertl, Jonas Valanciunas, and what seems like a deal in place with Serge Ibaka given reports, right? Mm-hmm. Utah, Rudy Gobert, Derek favors, uh, you know, quite a few other big men on their roster. They could maybe take one more as a backup, but you know, with the fact they also have Trey Lyles as a youth player there don't really need a big, in my opinion, Orlando, uh, Nikola Vucevic, Ben Mac Aaron Gordon. Don't really need a big Portland needs a big. They have 20 and 25 Brooklyn just needs everything. Mm-hmm. The Lakers, you know, maybe the Lakers could take a big San Antonio definitely needs an athletic big. And then Utah again, you know, sitting at number 30 was we've discussed, uh, you know, don't really need one in my opinion. So a lot of these teams down there, they don't really need big men. You know, I think that, what did I just say? Like something like six of those 10 picks between 21 and 30 don't really need bigs. But when you look at, you know, kind of big boards, even the ones that I put together, there are a lot of bigs in that range to be sure. I just don't see how they're all selected, I guess. Like I don't really see how a guy, how like all of Ben Adebayo, EK Anabogu, um, Justin Patton, um, there's so many of them that like, I'm just running out of names. John, running John. Through my head. John, John, Ivan Rab, uh, you know, TJ Leaf on that's another guy, TJ Leaf, TJ Wilson, Andre Pesechnik, uh, <laughs> Jonathan Motley. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the list goes on and on. Like I think Matthias Lasort 
has like an outside chance to go in the first round. Isaiah Hartenstein, uh, another guy. Harry Giles is obviously the wild card here that could go anywhere from like number 12 to number 40, Mm -hmm. depending on what kind of reports they get in medicals. Um, It's just very difficult for me to see how all of those guys end up in the first round, but they're all basically consensus first rounders. If you look at, and not all of them, but like probably 75% of the guys I just mentioned are consensus first rounders. And it's hard for me to see how they all go there. Yep. That's why I I look at guys. Like, I feel like somebody could reach on Terrence Ferguson. I'm not a big fan of him, but I feel like maybe the blazers will reach on him or something, or I I don't know. I, what, what do you think about Terrence Ferguson? A lot of people bring him up. He's from Tulsa. Uh, Sure. I, I don't really like him mostly because I think that he's just a two and the Thunder have twos. I think they need somebody who's more versatile on the wing. And I don't really see that from him. So, yeah, I wrote about Terrence Ferguson last week and I like what people think the idea of his game is. Mm-hmm. He's a three and D guy. Who's a hyper athlete who could win a dunk contest one day and could win a three point contest one day. And he's 18 years old and he's still developing. And, Then you look at what he did in Australia this year and you kind of realize what the book on him was from people, you know, including myself. Like I probably saw, you know, 15 to 20 hours of his uh, live in high school whenever he was like a five star prospect. Um, You kind of look at what the book was in high school and it's just like. Okay, well, he was the streaky shooter who was a streaky shooter in Australia who doesn't have a great frame who doesn't have a ton of length and you know, he's quick. He has really good feet, but you know, how much is that going to, how much is that going to matter? I guess, you know, and I I like, I want to like the idea of a low usage three and D guy who will play his role, who can get out and transition, who can leak out on the break, finish, do all of the stuff that the, uh, you know, the potential of his game is, but I don't, I don't know that I see it to be honest. Like, I don't know that the, that the sum of the parts equals, you know, the, the overall package, right? Like, yeah. does that make sense? So yeah. I, I look at him as someone that if you're Brooklyn, if you're Portland, you have multiple first round picks. If you're Utah, maybe take a shot on him. I probably would, if I was one of those teams and, uh, you know, really just needed a way to use a pick, uh, you know, from 20 to 30. But if I am Oklahoma city and I'm trying to contend right now and, you know, trying to show Russell Westbrook that, you know, we're going to be competitive as long as he stays here, we're going to win 45 to 55 games consistently. And you're going to have a shot with, uh, you're going to be in it with a shot once you get to the playoffs. Terrence Ferguson doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me because he's a project that is not going to be ready to play immediately. Yeah. I'm not a fan. He kind of, he's a little Will Barton to me, but I just don't know if he can be as good as Will Barton. Will Barton had a decent amount of game off the dribble getting into the NBA and Mm -hmm. Ferguson doesn't have that yet. You know, maybe he can develop it. Like I said, still going to be one of the youngest players in this NBA draft, but uh, yeah, there. It doesn't make sense for me from Oklahoma City's standpoint. I think there are teams out there that could take a risk on him in the first round, but not for Oklahoma City. 
I go back and forth on this guy, and I'm a, I went to Oklahoma State, so I'm a big homer for this guy, Juwan Evans. I know that you like him too. Listen to your show, and I know that you're a big fan of one him. of my favorites. Do you think that he fits in OKC? Because I think the Thunder want to play point a point guard next to Russell Westbrook, but to be more off ball, um, and his size is concerning. Uh, what do you think about? I know that you really like his game, and I think that he'd be a perfect backup. But the Thunder don't need like a like a super high level backup because they're gonna they don't a super high level backup doesn't fit in OKC because they're not gonna play a lot. But if they can play next to Russ, then I think it makes sense. Um, do you think Jawan Evans can play next to Russell Westbrook? So I don't think he can play next to Russell Westbrook. He's a guy that really needs to have the ball in his hands. And, you know, he's one of the best pick and roll players in this draft because he can create exceptional separation in those settings. I will say that if he is there at 21, I think Oklahoma City should probably take him. Mm -hmm. Uh, I have him at number 15 on my board. Uh, I'm just super high on his ability to create separation and create efficient offense. Oklahoma State had the number one offense in the country this year, despite, you know, depending on what you think of Jeffrey Carroll, I'm not necessarily super in on him. But like, depending on what you think of Jeffrey Carroll, didn't have another NBA player on the roster. And the last person who led a team to the number one overall offensive efficiency that didn't have an NBA player on the roster next to him was Chris Paul. Hmm. Now I'm not saying that Juwan Evans is Chris Paul. I'm saying that there are some similarities in terms of the way that they attack the game in terms of the way that they get efficient shots, both for themselves and for teammates, despite their size. And in terms of the way that they create separation with exceptional ball handling ability and exceptional quickness. Now the question becomes, how does, how does that all fit with Russell Westbrook? Right? I don't really think it does fit with Russell Westbrook on the floor, but I think that taking a true backup point guard, if you're Oklahoma city, man, it's getting really confusing for me to try and, uh, you know, go Oklahoma Oklahoma city back to Oklahoma (laughs) state going to Oklahoma city. Uh, if you're Oklahoma city, I think there's a benefit to taking a guy like Jawan Evans, allowing, the thunder to and allowing Billy Donovan to reduce Russell Westbrook's uh, minutes on the floor at some point occasionally and get him getting him down. He's probably around what, like 38 minutes, 40 minutes a game this year, right? He was actually at 35 minutes a game. Was he? Mm -hmm. That's one of the things that I praised Billy Donovan for during the season was that he was able to keep Russ's minutes down. And I think that that played part in him being able to play just the crazy, way that he did this season. Um, but they sat, they sat him a lot and they, they gave Samaj a lot of chances to fail this season. Well, you know what? They're not going to have to worry about that. If they take Juwan Evans, because I feel pretty good about Juwan Evans being good backup point guard in today's NBA. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other part of this is that you, if you're Oklahoma city, you do have to also plan for a future without Russell Westbrook. Mm-hmm. Like, just realistically, given the fact that, you know, if he doesn't sign this designated veteran player extension this summer, you already really do kind of have to start considering consider trading him like as soon as July, yeah. which is a terrible thing for Oklahoma City fans to think about. But it's also a reality of the situation, just given the way that, uh, you know, player value works in today's NBA. So in that case. I really do think that given the fact that there is no other competent level point guard on this roster, like you do need to just bring in a developmental point guard. And I think that they kind of hoped that that was Cameron Payne, Mm -hmm. but it very clearly just kind of wasn't with Jawan Evans 
Evans has great level quickness. I mean, I mean, I'm sure that like your listeners will wonder like what is different between Jawan Evans and Cameron Payne, given the fact that they're both like, you know, smaller players without a ton of vertical explosiveness that were, you know, elite level college scores. What, what I will say is different about them is that uh, Evans is a better pick and roll player. He gets better separation. He has a more developed floater game. Uh, he's a little bit better of a, in a more consistent shooter, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And the biggest thing that separates them though, is that Evans is a much better passer than yeah. what Cameron Payne was. Um, I like Evans quite a bit more than I like Payne in the 20, what was that? 2015 NBA draft. Mm-hmm. Um, and if he is there on the board at number 21, personally, I would, it would be hard for me to see one of my lottery guys falling to number 21. And given that I have Jawan Evans at number 15 mm-hmm. in considering and considering a need for, uh, you know, the thunder to get a point guard at some point here this summer, I would probably take Jawan Evans if he was there, but I understand why they would be hesitant given that again, they are trying to build a winner around Russell Westbrook versus, uh, you know, building for a future without him. Right. And maybe you can take me inside this a little bit because like I look at like draft express and their mock drafts seem to be like very reactionary and like their mock draft changed quite a bit this last time that they changed it. And a guy like Jawan Evans is down to 34 for them. Sure. Um, Derek White's 33. What is, what does that process look like? What is the process for creating a mock draft like, look like, like changing, like what, like what do you, th- what do you think of the reasons that like draft express would change their mock draft so drastically? Is it just things that they're hearing from agents or what, what entails the changing of a mock draft like that? Well, you know, I know John, you know, I would say reasonably well. I'm not going to say we're like really good friends or anything, but like, you know, I know John, he's a really great guy. Uh, You know, I appreciate getting in contact with him and talking to him every time I get a chance to. Uh, And he's a really, really smart guy who is extremely connected around the NBA. Mm -hmm. And I think that what you'll notice is, is that his top 100 rankings don't really change, you know, a crazy amount from Mm -hmm. the time that, you know, the NBA draft combine ends to where the NBA draft ends up happening. But because he's so well connected around the NBA and because he knows so many people, he does get quite a bit of great information from, you know, whoever he speaks with. And, you know, in this draft, particularly where there's such a crazy lot of players from like 12 all the way down to number 35 or something like that, mm-hmm. It's not all surprising to me that uh, you would see some players move up or down 10 plus spots in the middle of a process, right? Like it's just uh, this draft right now is extraordinarily fluid. Uh, You know, I'm trying to put together my mock draft right now and trying to build out, you know, uh, you know, trying to talk to people around the NBA, trying to figure out where they think these guys fall and where they think they could be selected and all of that stuff. And it's really hard. I mean, creating mock drafts is an incredibly difficult business. And uh, I think over the last decade, uh, John certainly proved himself to be uh, the best of the bunch in terms of uh, accuracy. I remember, uh, I think it was 2015 where I came 
within like percentage points of beating him uh, in mock draft accuracy. But you know, for the last decade, uh, I would say that my my uh, my getting close to him or as close to him as I did was pure dumb luck, uh, <laughs> as opposed to uh, you know you know having some sort of uh, read on the way the process goes. And as trades happen throughout this draft, where you know. Portland has three picks and Brooklyn has two and Utah has two and teams in the lottery want to move down. You know, it's a fool's errand to try and predict this thing foolproof. But, you know, John has taken that errand and run with it and been uh, the best in the business, like I said, for a decade. So Mm -hmm. I have full respect for him. And I think that, you know, a lot of a lot of other people should also have that respect. Yeah, no, it's it's highly interesting to just see where these guys are falling. Um, So a few of the guys we talked about. Um, plus, uh, Shemi Ojale. I want you to rank these guys: Terrence Ferguson, Ojale, Derek White, and Juwan Evans. Okay. Um, all right. So, for the Thunder, or for another team, or in uh, general, rank, well, rank them for the Thunder. Okay, I'd probably go Juwan Evans on. I would go Shemi Ojale number two. Okay. And then you said Ferguson, Derek White, and that was Frank it. Jackson. Is that right? Oh, you can okay. put, yeah, throw Frank Jackson in there just for fun. I mean, J- Jackson would be fifth. Um, mm-hmm. I would say Derek White, third, Terrence Ferguson, fourth. Okay. Tell me about Shemi. Like, so here's my dilemma with Ojale is that I feel like they kind of have a guy like that on their team already in Josh Eustace that they just haven't used. And I, I think that Eustace can still play. I, I believe in in his game, um, but but tell me where Ojale fits with the Thunder, and do you see like similarities between he and Houston? I don't really see all that many similarities between he and Houston. Uh, you know, I think Houston is kind of more of a two-three in the Andre Robertson mold, right? Okay. Like the big, like six foot seven. Uh, you know, maybe even Houston. Has Houston's gotten up to like six foot eight since he got drafted? Like something yeah. like that. And they play him um, at the four for the blue is is one of the reasons why I ask. They do, but I, I don't really necessarily see that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the reason is, is that he's just so skinny, right? Yeah. Like, I, I think it's really difficult to kind of compare someone that is as skinny as Josh Eustace is to the just mountain of a man that Shemi Ojale is, so big. where he's, you know, I was talking to, a, you know, an NBA executive at the Combine, mm-hmm. and he goes, that dude should just be playing football. <laughs> like, he would be the best tight end in the, in the NFL. His biceps are ridiculous. Like, he is the large, like he's the nicest human that I've gotten a chance to talk to. I feel like he is incredibly kind and, you know, and, you know, a really good guy, but oh my God, he could just crush you with yeah. like one, <laughs> like, you know, with like one grab from him, like within that massive bicep, like he could like just snap your neck uh, like in like a sleeper hold. He is unbelievable. Um, huge dude, uh, six foot seven, 200 and, 41 pounds or something like that. 5% body fat. Uh, you know, obviously that translates to him being able to defend the post. SMU used to be able to run him on guys from seven foot six taco fall to potential first round pick in the 2018 NBA draft. Chemezi Metu, uh, you know, those are guys that are legitimate post scorers. And he was able to just use his lower body strength and core strength to push them off the block and walk them off the block. Um, 
But then you also put that into conjunction with the fact that he has incredible feet. He has really, really great level quickness for his size at six foot seven in terms of being able to screens and laterally move, uh, you know, without the ball in his hands, he is going to be a really good defensive player in the NBA because of the versatility that he brings is kind of like, like Jay Crowdery kind of ability on that end. Right. Mm-hmm. Because Crowder, you know, six foot five or so, uh, really strong throughout the lower body though, and can guard multiple positions, really quick athlete. Um, where Ojale kind of separates himself for me is that he was one of the best shooters in the NCAA this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you look at both of his metrics off the dribble and, uh, you know, off of the catch, he really just knocked down lots in a variety of ways, both on the move uh, or off the catch from a standstill. That I think really bodes well for his potential as a role player in today's NBA. I have him in the you know uh, you know 21, 22, 23 range right now on my board. I'm a really big fan. Like I can see circumstances where he fails, obviously. Like if the quickness just doesn't translate, or the fact that like. You know, he has like an eight foot six standing reach and a team might want to play him at the floor. And that's really small for, you know, trying to protect the rim at that size. Having said that, he is a really, really interesting, you know, role player potential and role player archetype in an NBA where versatility is becoming more and more important from those role player types. Mm -hmm. I guess my question is, why do I see him? in the second round or late first round and not like at 18 to the Pacers or at 19 to the Hawks. Um, Whenever there's guys like Jared Allen and Harry Giles and guys like that in the mix, whenever you have a guy that has like, this is positional scarcity. Like if you, there are not that many wings in the league. And so I guess I'm just a little confused when I look at mock drafts. I'm like, if this guy is who I think he is, why is he, why is he in the second round? Like I, I just don't get that. Well, I mean, Jarrett Allen is has just turned 19 years old. Semi Ojale turns 23, I think, right at the end of the year mm-hmm. or something like that. Um, you know, there there's three years of age difference, three and a half years of age difference between them, and that's obviously a lot of development time, sure. right? Like sure. that is you know, a world of difference in terms of what a player is at 19, what they are at 22. So with a guy like Allen, for instance, um, who, who I like quite a bit because he's such an interesting fluid athlete with really good hands. He put up 16 and 10 in big 12 play this year, you know, early in the season, I think they were kind of trying to figure out how to use them. They put him in kind of bad situations and he didn't perform as well. But you look at what he was able to do in what was the second strongest conference, in my opinion, in college basketball this season, he was really, really good and really, really valuable uh, for a really bad Texas team. But, you know, the fact that he's that skilled, that he's that athletic, that he's that mobile at 6'11 with a 7'5 wingspan, you can see a trajectory for him, mm-hmm. right? You can see a trajectory where he becomes a starting level center in the NBA that can be, you know, maybe an all-star if things broke like a crazy perfectly. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, with Ojale, does that ceiling really exist? I don't know that it does necessarily. And that even comes from someone that is as high on Ojale as I am. So I guess that the way that you have to think of it is as an expected value equation, right? Mm-hmm. Like you have to measure ceiling versus floor versus most likely outcome. And 
with Allen, he has a bit more ceiling, a bit higher of a ceiling. Um, with Ojale, you have a bit better of a certain outcome. And then with Allen, again, you have a bit lower of a floor. I think that they're pretty close prospects in terms of what their, you know, quote unquote expected value would be. But at the same time, I can absolutely see a case for why an NBA team that, you know, really believes in its developmental staff, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, would want to take a shot on a guy like a Jarrett Allen. So what do you think the gap is between Ojale and kind of the next wing that's on the board in Justin Jackson. Yeah, that's a really interesting one because I think Ojale is more of a three, four. I think Jackson's more of a big two, three. Okay. Uh, Jackson probably, I know that the percentages don't necessarily say this, but I think I trust him a little bit more as a shooter. Okay. Uh, just with the way that he does it on the move with the way that, uh, you know, he gets great elevation on his jump shot. It's less of a set shot. Uh, he can, you know, kind of just get it in a variety of ways and get it off in a variety of ways. Uh, you know, that guy, I think is going to be able to shoot in NBA. Uh, he has really good feet defensively. Whenever you combine that with the length at six foot eight with like a six eleven wingspan, uh, I think he's going to have some utility. The question is, you know, obviously the body and the athleticism, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, how much should you buy into both of those factors? Uh, you know, being solid even let alone like plus, but being solid. I don't know. Uh, You know, it's hard for me to not buy into a kid that, you know, just led North Carolina to a national title. I think he's an NBA player as a rotation player in some way. You know, it's tough to pick between him and Ojalek. It really is. You know, Jackson obviously has slightly better pedigree was a five-star prospect uh, like early on throughout his career and, you know, just performed in every way that you could have possibly hoped for throughout his college career, uh, especially in his junior year. Bouchelet, you know, about the same age, took him a couple years at Duke to really, you know, realize that he shouldn't be at Duke and then moved to SMU, takes a year and a half off at SMU and steps in this year. We really only have this year of sample size from him as an effective college basketball player. Even mm-hmm. with Jackson, we know what he is a little bit more. Um, those two guys are really close for me. I, you know, I think that be, both of them would be really, really good addition to the city thunder. And, if you made me pick between them, I really don't know which direction I would go right now. That's really interesting. I want to ask you about some more wings that are that are a little bit higher. They'll be like trade-up candidates for the Thunder. I don't suspect that any of these guys will fall. Um, Luke Kennard, OG Ananobi, Donovan Mitchell, and Justin Jackson. How would you order those four as far as fit with OKC? Luke Kennard, OG Ananobi, Donovan Mitchell, and Justin. did you, I'm sorry, did you say Justin Jackson? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I would probably go Kennard number one, which I feel like is a little bit of a departure from where many people have them right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've been high on Luke Kennard throughout the process. I've had him as a lottery pick since I think February. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, yeah. So, so what what would make him? Because I'm I'm a huge OG and an OB guy, mostly because I feel like he has upside. He can play the three and the four. He's he's a 
he's a big dude too. Um, I really like his upside. So what 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 makes Luke Kennard? Um, what what puts him over a guy like OG or Donovan Mitchell? Well, for me, it's for me, it's polish offensively. Uh, he was maybe the best scorer in terms of volume and efficiency in all of college basketball this season. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the numbers that he put up at Duke this year, uh, I think it was like 19.9 points on what, like a 48% field goal percentage, 42% from three and uh, 86% from the foul line, I think yeah. is what the numbers are. Um, you know, those, those were numbers that have been done by like three players uh, in college basketball over the course of the last like quarter century. Um, yeah, he is, and he's the, I believe he is the only underclassman. So freshman or sophomore to have accomplished that. So he really is to me an elite level scorer that is an elite level shooter to be sure, but he's also gotten underrated in terms of his ability as a pick and roll player. Uh, he was, I think fourth out of 422 or 425 or something, uh, college basketball division one players this year in terms of, uh, you know, his synergy numbers in the pick and roll as a scorer. Uh, you know, he's a really good spot up player because of his ability to attack closeouts with this handle, uh, really good floater game, really good passer as well. Average something close to three assists per game. I believe, uh, there's just a lot to like about Luke Kennard's offensive profile. I would love him as a fit next to Russell Westbrook because, you know, Russell's obviously going to take off all of this attention from the defense. Right. Mm-hmm. And he's, uh, you know, going to be able, Kennard would be able to help to space the floor for us. He would be a really good fit with Andre Robertson, sliding Robertson down to the three, in my opinion, because Robertson could take on tougher defensive assignments and Kennard could, you know, not only knock down shots from three as a floor spacer, but he could attack closeouts whenever teams have to close out on him a little bit too hard because he has that skill set in his toolbox. So I really like that fit a lot. You asked about Ananobi particularly. Mm-hmm. Uh, OG Ananobi, I think, has gotten overrated throughout the process. Mm-hmm. Um, I had him at like number 23 when he got hurt. I think I've since moved him to like 18 or 19 on my board. He, he is the worst offensive player, uh, you know, in the first round right now for me, maybe John, John, but, and that's just because like John, John's body is nowhere near physically ready to play in the NBA. But, you know, Ananobi is a guy that his shooting mechanics aren't fantastic. His overall skill set, still isn't quite there yet. Uh, like, I don't know how he makes an impact other than just being athletic in like the half court in the NBA. Okay. And then there's still questions obviously about the injury is going to come back as athletically as, uh, you know, he was before the injury defensively. I think you can make an argument that he has the most potential out of any player in this draft. Uh, you know, you look at guys like Jonathan Isaac, Josh Jackson, uh, you know, a couple others, you could certainly make an argument for them being an impact defensive player in the same mold. But ultimately what it comes down to for me is that Jackson, or uh, I'm sorry, Ananobi still has quite a ways to go in terms of his offensive profile. And I think more than has been portrayed by many throughout this draft process. Yeah. And what's the status on his injury? Do we, is there a time that he's supposed to be out? I haven't been able to find a definitive timetable. Um, 
Um, so I, I believe he tore the ACL in January. It's definitely a torn ACL. Uh, there was, uh, you know, there was a lot of secrecy around it, like early on in the process, uh, for whatever reason, Indiana didn't want to release like all of the release, the information necessarily. Um, yeah, as far as I know, everything is going according to plan. I would doubt that he will be ready immediately at the beginning of the year, but I think there is every expectation that at some point, if everything continues to go well, and the team needed him, unlike as we've seen with Philadelphia and with a guy like Nerlens Noel, they didn't really need him that year, so they sat him the whole year. Um, there, I think that so far there's every indication that he will be ready to play next or next year at some point. Mm-hmm. Would you take Ananobi or Justin Jackson? Hmm. Would depend on team fit uh, overall for the Thunder. Oh wow. I would probably take Jackson to, well, it would depend on what their plan with Andre Robertson is. Mm -hmm. I think they're going to keep him. Right. Like assume they keep Robertson, uh, you know, I wouldn't want to have as many, you know, offensively or skill challenged players on the floor mm-hmm. with Robertson and Anobi. Uh, you know, I think you can even make an argument that while Steven Adams is useful as a screener and as a roller toward the basket and has certainly improved his post game a little bit, still not necessarily the most skillful offensive player on the floor either. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't necessarily want to have another, you know, quote unquote, non-offensively skilled guy uh, on this roster, which makes me think I'd probably rather have Jackson. But, you know, that's a tough one. I think that a lot of it depends on the way that uh, Oklahoma City wants to build its team. Now, if you maybe guess which one Oklahoma City would pick, I think it would be OG and Anobi. I mean, just from what we've seen from Sam Presti over the years in terms of the way that he operates, uh, what he values, he seems to value defensive talent, and seems to value, uh, you know, athleticism and everything that Ananobi has. I think he would probably take Ananobi, but if it was me, I would probably take Jackson for the Thunder because I would want to add to the skill level of the team. Yeah, he's a <laughs> oh, geez, a total Thunder guy. Um, another guy I feel is kind of like a, th- a Thundery guy is Donovan Mitchell. Um, yeah, six three with a six ten wingspan. Um, I'm a big fan of him, and I I saw him in on draft boards several weeks ago. It's been it's been a while, but he was in the 20s, and I was like, oh man, like he'd be perfect. Like he can play a little bit of backup, and he could probably play next to Russ. Like this this guy would be perfect. But now he's like in the lottery. Uh, what do you What are your thoughts on Donovan? Yeah, I mean, I was super high on Donovan Mitchell coming into the year. I wrote uh, at Sporting News about Donovan Mitchell breaking onto the scene and becoming like an NBA draft prospect. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, an awesome, awesome kid. He's an incredibly hard worker. You know, like you said, six foot three with a six ten wingspan can play. Uh, he's mostly a two, in my opinion. I, I don't really see the point guard potential there, but. You know, he can shoot the basketball a little bit. He's really improved there. I'm not necessarily sure that he's like a true like 37% three-point shooter or whatever he was this year. But, you know, early on, like maybe he's more of like a 33, 34% from the NBA line. But we'll see. Um, 
defensively really good play. Uh, a lot of a lot of high effort plays. Uh, you know, obviously uses the length to get into passing lanes. Has really good awareness. Really really good aggressiveness uh, on the defensive. Uh, you know, going to be able to defend both ones and twos. Not sure he's going to be able to defend threes all that often. I know it's something that's kind of been wondered about with him. Maybe you can switch him onto threes occasionally, but like, uh, you know, not a ton of positional size, you know, six foot one and a half without shoes on. Right. So, you know, uh, I think that having him at number 11 or 12, where some people have moved him up to is probably a little bit high for me personally. Uh, I, I do like him quite a bit. Like I said, I've been high on him throughout the entire process, but I have him more in the like 17, 18, 19 range, which is a lot closer to the thunder than I feel like, uh, you know, what a lot of people have him at now. Yeah. And I've, I've said this before that I, I really, really like Donovan Mitchell at 21. I don't know that if I was an NBA GM that I would trade up to 12 to get him. Um, I'm not sure that that's the yeah. best use of a number 12 pick. Yeah, I think that's right. Especially, you know, and you use the term trading up as well. You're not only talking about using the 12th pick on Donovan Mitchell. You're talking about giving up additional assets. Right. Donovan Mitchell as well. Um, yeah, no, I mean, if I was if I was sitting at number 12, I would take Luke Kennard. I would take uh, Zach Collins. I would probably take John Collins as well. I really am, you know, high on guys who are, you know, literally historically productive. Mm-hmm. And that was what John Collins was this year at Wake Forest. Um, even if I'm trying to think like, I, I think it's like totally out of the realm that a guy like Frank Nilakina or Dennis Smith falls to number 12. Yeah. But like, you know, that, that's where I'm at on like area, you know, let alone the thunder at 21 having to, you know, trade number 21, having to trade, you know, I'm trying to think what they could even move to get up there. Like, Andre Robertson's restricted free agency rights or something um, to move up to number 12 and grab that pick to get Donovan Mitchell. I would not be a fan of that asset allocation, but you know, again, I I do like Donovan as a player and he's like I said, an incredibly hard worker who I think would fit the mold in terms of what Sam Presti typically looks for in a prospect. Mm -hmm. Uh, Let's move on to the the second round guys. Uh, I'm a big fan of this second round. I think that there's going to be some guys selected in here that'll be NBA rotation players. And the Thunder haven't spent any of their money that they could use in a trade so far. I learned that today talking to my friend John Hamm. Uh, They have the $3 million to spend. So I would suspect that they're going to buy a pick. The Thunder are always uh, looking to buy second rounders. Um, I'm going to give you a list of names, and I want you to tell me like which of these guys sticks out the most to you. Um, so Darius Thornwell, Devin Robinson, Dwayne Bacon, Wesley Iwundu, Dylan Brooks, and Josh Hart. Definitely Hart uh, sticks out the most of that group. Mm-hmm. Um, I have Hart like in the 30 to 35 range right now. Okay. Um, again, I, I really value production feel like especially among you know senior level players uh josh hart was for my money the best player in college basketball last season in terms of what he gave to villanova not only on the offensive end but on the defensive end six foot five six foot eight wingspan a bulldog in terms of the way that he attacks the game of basketball really tough really physical his developed as a jump shooter over the course of his four years in college. Uh, I see him as a really solid role player. I know that the compare 
comparison is Malcolm Brogdon. And I don't really see that. I think he's heart is more of a two, three, whereas Brogdon is more of like a one, two mm-hmm. combo. We guard, I think hearts more of a wing, but I really like what Hart can bring to the table because I really do like those tough, physical, strong-minded, strong-willed players to make an impact in the NBA. What do you think about Devin Robinson? I think he's highly interesting just because of uh, his athleticism and his measurables. Um, What do you think about him as like an NBA role player? I think he is interesting in a lot of those ways and also kind of a fake prospect in a lot of ways. Um, not a great athlete in space. Okay. Uh, you know, not a great athlete in, well, he is a great athlete in space, not a great athlete in kind of condensed spaces. The jump shooting has improved. I don't know that I trust him yet as a consistent level jump shooter. Um, defensively, he can, it sometimes make really great elite level plays at other times. He will just totally lose track of where he is on the floor. Um, if, if we're talking about guys that are like six foot nine with a seven foot wingspan, uh, that will probably profile better as fours than threes in today's NBA. I like Kyle Kuzma a little bit more than I like him okay. because Kuzma was at least more consistently productive and is a better athlete. I think in small spaces and is a better functional athlete than what Ben Robinson is. Um, Again, though, Kuzma obviously has concerns in terms of defense. He was not nearly consistent enough at Utah. Um, Definitely had more opportunity to produce. But, uh, you know, again, I think that what I look for in prospects is I want, or at least in the second round, I want guys who can hopefully step in sooner rather than later, who are not necessarily rather large projects, who, uh, you know, I have the faith in that I can trust them on a consistent basis. And the question for Devin Robinson has always been consistency and always been giving high level effort. And I, yeah, I struggle with guys like that. I'm, I'm not necessarily a fan of projects in the second round. What do you think of Monte Morris versus Frank Jackson or Frank, not Frank Jackson, Frank Mason, which one of, um, which one of those guys do you like better? I'm super high on both. I actually have them next to each other on my board. I have Monte at 35, Frank Jackson or Frank Mason. I'm sorry. At 36. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I actually have both of them over Frank Jackson on my board. Okay. Um, you know, in terms of which one fits better for the thunder, I would probably say, man, I might say Frank Mason, because Mason played a lot more off the ball at Kansas next to Devontae Graham. Um, Morris was obviously the head ball in his hands all the time. Mm -hmm. Uh, But Morris, though, played a low usage role. They both would really fit. I have Morris just very slightly higher. They're both really good shooters off the dribble. They're both really, or Morris is much better of a passer. Uh, Mason, a little bit more athletic, a little bit better of a defender. It's just going to depend on what you want from the position, really. Uh, I like both of them, though, quite a bit more than what I think most other people do. Uh, if you made me pick one, I would probably say Frank Mason for Oklahoma City, though. Yeah, I, and I like Mason in that. I think they could 
buy him in the late second round, and then he could come in and be that like ten minute backup to Westbrook, um, and yeah. not necessarily feel like you've made such an investment in him that you have to play him next to Russ. Um, I don't know. I like him. I, I watch a lot of Big Twelve basketball because I'm an Oklahoma State fan, and I always came away like that guy's good. Like he can really play. He's just really goddamn good. Yes, like he is. in today's NBA. There are certain skills that I look for from lead guards, right? Uh, the first one is the ability to create consistent separation. Uh, Mason, I think that there is a concern there. Uh, he is hyper quick and uh, is pretty explosive athletically, but he does have the size limitation and the size question mm-hmm. to where I do wonder how longer defenders consistently will affect him. But the second skill that I look for now is the ability to shoot off the dribble. And Frank Mason was one of the best shooters off the dribble in college basketball this season. And I think that will continue to be a calling card of his in the NBA. You look at the way that a guy like Yogi Ferrell was able to step into an NBA role relatively quickly because he was such an effective uh, shooter off the dribble and could create relative separation and dime guys, uh, you know, in corners for the Mavs this year. Uh, I really uh, value those two skills from point guards, especially backup point guards. So I, I think Mason is kind of a perfect fit in that regard. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan. Uh, last prospect. Let's talk about Kurix. What do you what do you think of him? What do you think of his NBA potential? I think that he would be a good draft and stash guy for OKC, kind of a swing for the fences type of guy. But uh, the more I learn about him, the more I don't want the Thunder to do that. But what do you what do you think about Kurex? Yeah, I, I would not take him at number twenty one. Um, you know, six foot eight, switchable defender, pretty good athlete, fluid athlete. Uh, you know, explosiveness, I would say is pretty average, uh, overall skill level, definitely still more of a straight line driver. Uh, not a great shooter yet. Like a, probably like a 32% three point shooter, 31% three point shooter tomorrow in the NBA. Not like, you know, not disastrous, but not super high level. Um, definitely still a project, definitely a draft and stash in my opinion. And again, if you're the thunder, I don't know that drafting and stashing a player is your best way to convince Russell Westbrook that you're making uh, a concerted effort to win basketball games while he's still in Oklahoma city. So, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I I don't know that Kirk's is uh, the right, uh, you know, the right prospect worth sending that negative of a message to what I think it would be for Westbrook. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And I think that there's guys in this current draft that can step in and be better than some of the rotation players that Oklahoma City had. I think they can get a backup point guard in this draft. I think that a lot of these guys, even some of the wings in the second round, will be better than what Kyle Singler did this year. So I think there there's a chance for the Thunder to bring in guys that can play, um, like a Derek White, uh, that can right. impact the Thunder next year. So um, I'm hoping that they go in that direction as well. Sam, thanks for coming on the show today. We can follow you on Twitter at Sam underscore Vicini. We can read your stuff at the Sporting News. And also, if you guys love podcasts, you need to download the Game Theory podcast. It's a really great NBA draft podcast that Sam does. And he has done a profile of the Thunder with Fred Katz. So check that out and uh, listen to his podcast. Thanks a lot, Sam. Yep, anytime, Andrew.